Hey, uh, so whenever I'm up here preaching, uh, we're, we work through the book of Habakkuk. So if you guys haven't been here before, you're visiting and so forth, here's my encouragement to you. Nobody preaches out of Habakkuk, so if you feel lost, that's okay. Um, so just, just turn to the table of contents, and that's where you'll find where to turn to Habakkuk. So I'm going to give you a long time to, to figure out where that is because it involves a lot of flipping back and forth. So uh, we're working through the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk, just as a quick quick overview, uh, is a prophet who lived at the tail end of the reign of the wicked king Manasseh. So that was a very dark period in the history of God's people. And he asked the Lord, Lord, would you do something about this? Everything's falling apart around us. Like things are, things are dark. Where are you? And he expected the Lord to bring reform. And instead the Lord answers, I am doing something, Habakkuk. I'm sending an invading army. And it blows Habakkuk off his feet. It's a confusing answer, right? So you can see why our series is called, I'm confused. Because Habakkuk right now is standing here thinking like, Lord, how can that be right? How is that the answer that you gave? And so today, we come to the climax of this book. We're going to be reading chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. This is the take-home lesson for anybody who's ever been confused by the Lord and his ways. And... Uh, you know, it, it, it's going to sound a little confusing at first, um, so I'm just going to give you the two-word summary of what we're about to hear. The Lord looks at Habakkuk in his confusion, and he says, Habakkuk, trust me. Trust me. So would you stand as together we read how the Lord moves toward his hurting, his confused prophet, kind of assuages his fears with his call to trust. Habakkuk 2, starting in verse 2. The Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. If you think Habakkuk was confused before, he's probably a little bit more confused after this. Maybe you feel that way. But you know what? This is the true word, the living God. Gives it to you because he Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray now that you would move. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Would you give us clarity where we lack um, clarity, where we feel confused? Father, would you whisper your trust into hearts that are full of turmoil? And, and Father, we're just scared. Would you help us to trust you? And then, Lord, uh, where we lack love, where we feel like you're distant, where we feel like... Um, we just don't see you. Father, would you stir in our hearts to give, you, to give us love for you? Would you meet us where we're at right now? Whether we need challenge or whether we need encouragement, your word can do all of that. And so we lean on it because we lean on you. We pray all this in your name, Savior Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right, so... Uh, this is just the intro. 
Verses two through five are just the intro to a much longer vision that the Lord is about to give Habakkuk. And this Habakkuk goes through, the, or this vision goes through the rest of chapter two. And it primarily deals with the fact that the Lord's saying, Habakkuk, I know you're confused about how I can use a wicked people to punish my own people. Trust me, I'm taking care of it, okay? But the intro is where we're gonna focus right now. And in this intro, the Lord just starts by telling Habakkuk, son, trust me, trust me. So I think we gotta start out by defining trust, right? So uh, a common way to define it, trust is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Right? And very often in our culture, we can use trust and faith kind of interchangeably. Faith is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. However, here's why, uh, and, and that's actually the word used here, the righteous will live by his faith. But here's why I'm not using that term, because I think sometimes it can get a little confusing for us. Because in, in our culture, where we've kind of heard a lot of the Bible and that sort of stuff in this area, uh, we can kind of think of faith as uh, just kind of like this, this vague optimism, right? This confidence in something good out there. Uh, it's almost like good vibes. If you, just, if you just feel it enough, you may not have proof for it, but if you, just, if you just feel it internally enough, then somehow it will materialize and become real in reality for you. Um, but the way the Bible uses faith, faith is trust, that we can have in the Lord and what he says and does. Why? Because of his unshakably true and trustworthy character. And faith shapes how we do all of life. And so our three points today, as, as the Lord is calling to Habakkuk, and he says, son, trust me. Trust me. He calls him to trust in three areas. Trust me in the waiting. Trust me in humility. And son, trust me to make you right. So those are our three points. Trust me in the waiting and in humility to make you right. And under each of those three points, we're going to have a couple of challenges. And maybe you're like, well, that sounds like a lot of challenges. Hey, uh, trust is hard. I think you might find as we blaze through the rest of the sermon, um, maybe we haven't listed enough challenges. So if there's a challenge in here that you'd be like, hey, uh, you didn't mention this. You're right, I didn't. Let's come and talk. I'd love, to, I'd love to have a conversation. All right, so let's look at uh, trust me in the waiting. Verse two, Habakkuk, or the Lord tells Habakkuk, hey, I'm about to give you a vision. It's about the coming destruction of the Babylonians and all that sort of stuff. I want you to write it down. I want you to make it plain. I want you to put it on tablets, not iPad tablet things. We're, we're talking like, this is, the, this is the ancient equivalent of a billboard, all right? Do you get the picture what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk, I'm giving you a vision and it's for everybody. Everybody needs to be able to have access to this. Everybody needs to be able to see it from like miles around. What's the problem though? The challenge here is well, the Lord often makes us wait, right? The Lord himself says, look, I'm gonna make good on this, this vision, verse two. It awaits its appointed time. It will hasten to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, I get it. It's, it might seem like it's going to take a while, but wait for it. It's coming. It'll happen. And there's a good reason the Lord said that. You want to know how long it took for the fulfillment of the last half of chapter 2? A hundred years. 
That's 100 years to watch the Neo-Babylonian Empire rise out of the kind of obscurity that it had fallen into. 100 years under two men, Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar. 100 years where these men ravaged the ancient Middle East, slaughtered thousands, conquered just huge swaths of territory, and all just to glut their own empire with glory and fame and blood. Hundred years of heartache during which the Lord's own people would be conquered and uprooted from their land. Hundred years before God gave Babylon the taste of the medicine that was coming to them that he'd already promised in the end of this uh, chapter. And through it all, God's people had to wait. They just waited. You know what that's like? You know what it's like to wait for a long, long time? Yeah, we just got our building permits. You're right. <laughs> As a church, we've waited for a really long time. We're in a position of continuing to wait. Our building's not here yet. We're waiting for the next lead pastor. Who's God going to lead us to? You know what it's like to wait? All right. Here's what's hard in the waiting, right? Um, well, sometimes it feels like God's not doing anything, right? It feels like you're just hurrying up to wait, to just to spend all this time doing nothing. But you know what? In, in the story of God's people here, God used these hundred years to write multiple books of the Bible. He used these hundred years to teach his people valuable lessons on what it looked like to be faithful and to trust him. He used these hundred years to place people in important places like, like Daniel, who practically ruled the Persian Empire later, um, and, and uh, Nehemiah. And God used this hundred years of waiting to use his people as a testimony to the nations. God was at work. While we're waiting, God is at work. Maybe you know what that's like. You ever spend a ton of time like in, in the garden of God and you're you're looking right here in this corner and you're praying and you're praying. You're just like, Lord, I'd really love to see something happen right here. I wanna see, I wanna see this soul saved. I wanna, see, I wanna see you move in this way in my life. I wanna see this. And you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, maybe for years and it seems like God's doing nothing. But all the while, I don't know if you've had this experience, all the while, all around you, God is doing a lot of things. And finally, he lifts your eyes to see how he's been at work in the waiting. Probably don't have time to give this example. Uh, I grew up on the mission field in Mozambique but, and my parents went over there, my dad is a surgeon and he went over there to build, well not originally to build, uh, but later on he wanted to build a charity hospital for Mozambicans. That was 33 years ago that they went to Mozambique. About eight years into that they started trying to build this hospital. It's still not finished. It's a lot of time, a lot of time waiting, a lot of time praying, a lot of time planning, a lot of time with nothing seeming to happen. And yet, in the midst of all that waiting, God raised up a church planting network. He planted a church, which is um, a huge feat in Mozambique where there's lots of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel and no one that actually preaches the truth. He, he started up a pastor uh, book literature distribution ministry, annual conferences for pastors that draw people from all over the country to come hear solid preaching and be ministered to and cared for. 
God has been doing a lot of stuff in the wings all while we've been waiting for this one thing to happen. Friend, are you waiting for God to act? Have you been waiting for a long time? Have you been praying and you don't feel like he's listening? Let me encourage you. Maybe lift your eyes. Look around. God is always at work in our waiting. We may not see how he's working, but he is always at work in our waiting. That's the first challenge under the first point there. Um, you know what's, what's challenging about waiting also? Not only does God make us wait, we don't like to wait, do we? It just drives us nuts. Uh, y'all, this is why waiting rooms suck. They're just miserable. You go in there, and, and here's the thing. Waiting makes you feel dependent. You go to the doctor's office. You go to the DMV. You go to, you know, you could be a kid waiting in the principal's office, right? You're just, you're waiting, and you're like, you've got so much power in this equation. I can literally waste my life right now. And it's okay with you, because you're the one who's making me wait. People at the DMV, right? No, like, God, uh, <laughs> and in more traditional cultures, the more important a person is, the longer you end up waiting to be able to see that person, right? So what's the, what's the good news in that, right? What's the good news when, when we are so, we just, we fight waiting, we fight this sense of dependence, What's the good news when God has us wait and we don't like to wait? Well, one, we fight that feeling of dependence because we just don't, we don't like to feel dependent, but we were made to be dependent. And so very often when God has us in that period of waiting, he's retraining us. He's teaching us, hey, here's what it looks like for you to be how I made you to be, which is reliant upon me, dependent upon me, not scurrying around trying to do your own thing, right? The other thing is we're often, we often don't like waiting because we're fearful we're not going to get what we're waiting for, right? Waiting implies that something we want isn't in our power to obtain. It's in somebody else's power to give, and we don't like that. That does not, especially for Americans. That's why we have Walmart for crying out loud. You can go in there. You can get whatever you want. I love Walmart. Um, so what happens if the person that you're waiting on doesn't give you what you're looking for. Scares you, right? So here's the good news. If God has promised it, you can take that to the bank. God has never once broken his promise to any of his people, and he's made lots of promises. He has never once broken a promise. Now what if God hasn't promised something good? All right, well, then here's where I encourage you to trust his heart, okay? Um, if it's good for you, he'll give it in his own time. If it's bad for you, he won't give it. But you also have to let him define what is good for you as your maker. He knows you more than you know yourself. So trust his heart in that. That's good news as you're waiting. As you're waiting for God to... Uh, uh, in the waiting where you're like, Lord, why are you making me wait? I don't like waiting. Trust. He's, he's working with you to develop your trust, your sense of dependence upon him. Because honestly, y'all, 
left to ourselves, we just want to go into the mad scurry. We're going to fix it on our own. We're going to make things happen. This is especially true if you're an American. We are the busiest, most uh, frantic people on the face of the planet because we have this belief, and there's a beautiful side to it, but we have this belief that everything is within our power to accomplish. And then you hit the wall. You go to the DMV. (laughs) And you have to wait. God wants you to wait. Lean into the waiting. Learn what he's teaching you in the waiting. Learn trust. The Lord calls to Habakkuk and he says, son, wait for me. This vision's going to take time. And then he says, trust me in humility. And what's the obvious challenge there? Well, the obvious challenge to humility is we're just proud, right? We're just proud. And waiting strikes at our pride like nothing else. So verse four here, uh, it says, behold, his soul is puffed up. We're not really super sure what the his, who the his exactly refers to, but it's likely referring to the Babylonians uh, that have just been described in verses 12 through 17 of chapter one. Um, So the Babylonians were not only pridefully pursuing their own ends, but as you see later on here in verse four, they kind of are just like, huh, all right, well, so God promises, the Lord, your, your God, Israel, promises that we're going to be called to account, that we're going to be called to the mat. It's not happening. It's not happening. I dare him to try it. And they spent 100 years daring God, daring God to, to make good on his promise or on his prophecy. So... The, the, the Chaldeans are pridefully pursuing their own ends. They're, they're mocking the Lord's warning vision. And in verse 4, an obvious contrast is set up, right, between the righteous person who is faithfully living out their trust in the Lord. The righteous shall live by his faith. Faithfully living out his trust in the Lord and waiting on him and the bloated, proud soul who, like, is against the created order. The word upright there. And the Bible often indicates um, it's like out of alignment with the way that God made things to be. Or if you're not upright, then you're out of alignment with the way that God made things to be, right? But I think there's a warning call here for Habakkuk too in, in verse four. Don't you think? Because if the defining posture of the rising Babylonian empire was pride, what have we been seeing happening in Habakkuk over the last couple of sermons. I think Habakkuk was on the same trajectory, wasn't he? As the very people he deplored. In fact, uh, you're starting to see pride leak out of Habakkuk in the way that he challenges God. And the way he says, Lord, I don't know if you got this right. I don't know if you got this right. Explain this to me. And so the Lord, I think this is a loving thing. He lovingly redirects Habakkuk saying, hey, Habakkuk, look, the souls of the Babylonians are puffed up. They're not upright within him. My righteous one will live by faith. He's he's directing Habakkuk away from the proud arrogance of the very people Habakkuk doesn't like and back into trust. He's saying, Habakkuk, my righteous ones, the ones who do life my way, the right way that I designed for them, they do life in faith. They do life by trusting me rather than arrogantly pursuing their own ways. My righteous ones trust me. They do life in faith. So 
I want us to, I want us to do a little self-examination, okay? Where are you proud? Where are you proud? Y'all, pride infects our lives. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not proud. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty humble. Well, that's kind of a warning bell automatically. Like, ah, I don't have that issue. Well, really? You look in the mirror yet? Um, but here's a test, just in case you're not convinced. All right. How much of your time and, and, and thought life do you spend thinking about you and about your concerns? And I would guarantee practically everybody in this room, unless you're some sort of like really super developed uh, person on, on the path toward holiness and righteousness, you probably spend at least 90% of your thought life. And that, that's being generous. 90% of your thought life just thinking about you. What do people think about me right now? So the way I'm going to dress today, how's that going to look to other people? What are they going to think if I lift my hands and worship? You know? What are they, uh, you know, what, what am I having for lunch after this? Like so much of our thought, like it's just, it's about us. We lie at the center of our universes. And can I, can I just tell you, the Bible spills more ink. God says his harshest words, not against some sort of like sexual sin out there. You know what he talks about most? The thing that heads the list of things God doesn't like? Pride. Pride. Why do you think that is? Because pride puts me on God's throne on the, at the center of the universe. Pride is the ultimate act of rebellion against a good God. It says, I am what matters most and everything else in this world is to revolve around me. And that leads to terrible abuses, doesn't it? Which is the, uh, the second challenge that we're gonna walk into here. Uh, not only are we proud, we're also greedy and entitled. Now, greedy and entitled, that, those are offshoots of pride, right? Um, because pride says... I am what matters most. And greed responds, why yes, yes, yes I do. And I want that. So I'm gonna take it. It should be mine. And entitlement says, yes, I will take it because I deserve it, right? Did you get that? Pride says, I am what matters most. Greed says, well, I want that. And entitlement says, that's mine. I'm taking it. And who cares about anybody else? So where do we see the entitlement side of things here? Pride in verse four, entitlement and greed in verse five. The Babylonians are kind of the epitome of this right now. Um, Y'all, verse five is like crazy hard to translate. If you get into like scholar, scholarly articles on this stuff, they're like, what does it mean wine is a traitor? Everyone like scratches their head over this. But I think there's a convincing argument to be made. Wine um, is a, would be better translated as the proud one, the presumptuous one. The proud presumptuous one is a traitor, right? And it fits better with the context, right? In their pride, the Babylonians are gobbling up the world like this voracious death-like, in this voracious death-like, death-dealing hunger. They're like, hey, we should own all of this. All the peoples of the world should be ours. 
And so his greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. It's never enough. Okay, well, we just conquered this neighboring territory. You know what? Let's conquer that one. Let's conquer the next one. Babylon, y'all, you should read ancient descriptions of Babylon. Gold glittering everywhere, uh, uh, purple. Like it, it It was lavish. It was lascivious. And it was all about them. And they crushed people to get whatever they wanted. Greed, entitlement. I deserve this. Why not? Why shouldn't I have everything anyone can offer? Hey, um, I think, again, like, let's look at our hearts, right? Because I'm, as a culture, this is where we're headed. This, our American individualism has made us so entitled, it's almost laughable, right, if it weren't scary, Life is about me, about my fulfillment, about what I can get out of things. It's frightening, right? And it leads to terrible abuses. So what about you? Where do you feel prideful, prideful, entitled, and greedy? Maybe that's not you, right? Um, I would argue it is. I think, um, I think... Every one of us probably have those go-to sins that we, that we run to, um, that we're ashamed about, those addictions, those things that we use to numb. It can be things with substance. It can be sex, food, spending money, exercise, self-harm, others' harm. It can be, honestly, things like gaming or binge-watching and all that sort of stuff. See, an addiction is, is taking a good thing and just running with it regardless of the kind of harm that it brings to yourself or other people like it's just that constant um, turning to that instead of to the lord so here's how here's how an addiction cycle works right we get triggered something something fear inducing happens and it, it maybe can leave us feeling angry it can feel it's leaving uh lonely or small or bored or stressed ugly, unwanted, any of those things. Like it, it triggers something. I'm going to be left alone. I'm, 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 I'm fearful. I'm afraid, whatever it is. And then we start fantasizing. We start fantasizing about the fix, the thing that we use to, to numb out those feelings that we don't like. All right. 